at your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John in the back of your Bible, not the Gospel of John, but the first epistle of John. First John chapter one. John writing to those who profess Christ as their Savior. And of course some overflow to some hearing it that professed but did not possess Christ as their Savior. But he says in verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest, manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these sayings write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Father, realize today that it takes the Spirit of God, uh, carrying the Word of God, to create life within people. And Lord, uh, today, pray that you'd help me to cut your Word straight. Pray, Father, that you would use it to be an encouragement, use it to bring conviction. Lord, that your will would be done in our lives today. And let's thank you for this tremendous passage and the assurance and the joy that it can bring to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, 1 John is the first epistle. Of course, John wrote the gospel. He wrote three epistles here, inspired letters penned by the apostle John. And with John, as with all people that were used of the Lord to write the Bible, God did not take away their individuality or their personality when they wrote. Although they were simply like a, a pen in the hand of God, and every word that we find here in this book that, that's inspired, uh, that it's all inspired, but every word is from God, that, that this is God's word. But when he used men like Matthew and Luke and Paul and John, he didn't remove from them the, the burden of what's being said. He didn't remove from them the emotions of what's being said. And here when we come to consider John, 
Uh, John is the very last of the apostles. He uh, seems to have been youngest. All the other ones have perished and been, been uh, persecuted against and been killed. And here, John, up in his 90s, uh, in, the, in the year probably about 99, First John was written. Now, many believe it was written after even Revelation. But John has been 60 years from the time of Christ. And things have begun to change. And John is writing with a heart here, a letter that's not addressed to Pacific Church, but to all of Christians at that point in time. And he's concerned about where the church is headed. He's concerned about uh, different things that have been creeping in and Gnosticism, and we won't go into that, was creeping in here. And so when we read John, you've got to keep in mind that what he's saying, he's saying with a full heart, with, with a, a burdened heart. And it's somewhat like when Paul, 30 years before, when he went to Ephesus, he said to the preachers there, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God which had purchased with his own blood. For I know that this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men rise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so Paul, John's very similar heart to, to uh, Paul here with tears. He's wanting to set some things straight, reboot in a sense, and, uh, and get them back on a solid footing. There's really, uh, though this book is just pregnant with uh, solid truths and things to study, there's really three things that John says that he's concerned about. And you see that when he uses words, when he says, these things I've written unto you. I want to point you to the first one there in verse 4. He says, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. He wanted them to have a joyful life. We're living in a day of joyless Christianity. There's much preached about happiness. And it seems that the sun never goes down. Uh, it's always bright and shiny and happy with contemporary Christian music. But they've uh, avoided holiness for happiness. There's a focus on programs. There's a focus on exciting topics, that which lifts the spirit, that which makes people feel good. But, you know, making people feel good could be accomplished by the Kiwanis or by the Masons or whatever. But when we come to joy, it's a completely different animal. It's distinctly a Christian word. It, joy is something that runs deep down in our soul. And even though things around about us may be in turmoil, uh, we can be joyful. John is writing to these people concerned that, that though they have the joy of salvation and, and knowing Christ as their Savior, they're not full of joy. And he says, I want you to have the fullness of joy. I want you to have a, a peace that passes understanding. I want the deep down in your soul, no matter what's going on, there's a joy 
in your life. And then he also says uh, these words again, these things I've written unto you in chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And so he says, first of all, I want you to, I write to you because I want you to have joy in your life. I, I write to you because I want you to understand what sin is. That, that I want you to fully grasp in your heart the damage of sin and, and the control of sin and the, and the harm of sin. And so he's going to address that. Later on in chapter 5 and verse 13, which we'll look at this afternoon, but in chapter 5 and verse 13, realizing that people don't have the fullness of joy, realizing that sin is not being dealt with in a proper way, he says in chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Because, because of all this conflict and the th things of life and the failures of life, the different things that come up, he says, I'm writing these things that you can know for a surety that you're saved. Very important. There can be no growth. There can be no going forward if we're constantly questioning our salvation. We live in a day of cultural Christianity, and that results in an absence of joy. It also results in sinful behavior, and, and, uh, and he's laying out before their heart this idea of, are you legitimately saved? And so what John has done, he's called upon us to open up our hearts and ask ourselves, how's my joy? Are you joyful? Is there something deep down that's not shaken in your life? And then he's going to open up our hearts and, and ask us to consider this admonishment. I write unto you that you sin not. How is our life when it comes to sinful behavior and how do we deal with that? And so first, let's note this, that, the, that I write unto you that your joy may be full. I think the first thing we can note definitely here is that there's a possibility uh, for us not to have a full cup of joy. There's a possibility for us to go through life, mucking through life day by day, and not really have the joy that's full, that there's more that can be had, that, that he wants us to have a complete and full joy. Of course, we should know, and I'll tell you, that that joy begins with salvation. That, that you've not ever been born again, you do not comprehend and hold in yourself this joy that he's talking about. It's, again, it's much more than happiness. It's something that deep within our soul. In fact, this is what Paul wrote, I mean, Peter wrote. He said, whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. And so it's, it, that joy that is addressed here, this biblical joy, it begins with the salvation of our soul. 
And it says that when you're, when you're saved from your sin and realize that, that you've been forgiven, there's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. But that joy can dissipate. And, and he's, he's writing again to saved people. He's writing to Christians here. And he says, I'm writing you. One of the purposes that I'm writing this letter to you is that I want you to have all that God has for you. I want you to have joy deep down in your heart. It rests upon a, a solid faith. This joy that he's talking about, it's real. It's not some kind of wishful thinking. It's not some kind of positive thinking. It, it doesn't rest upon a figment of the imagination. It doesn't rest upon being in the right place and the right time and being lucky in life. But it rests upon solid truth. It rests upon substance, that which could be seen and heard and felt, what, what that which we can have in common. He says, he says here in verse 2, For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and with the, with, uh, was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he says, part of this joy comes from fellowship. And when he, when he talks about fellowship, he doesn't mean that we're going to have a fellowship and, and we're going to all bring potluck and eat. But, he's, but when he, the word fellowship is much deeper than just meeting together. As we were talking this morning, one preacher that came here said, Baptist motto is, we're not meeting if we're not eating. And, and, and that's humorous. But when we talk about fellowship, it's talking about something that's much deeper. Fellowship means we, sh we share things in common. We have the same DNA as, uh, as the Holy Spirit in our lives. That it means that, that we, we share uh, we, we, uh, we, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're family. Now, I think it's interesting, and it's important that we grasp this, but note, he says, he says there in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Why did he say that? Because it's obvious, it's obvious he's talking about his time with the Lord. That, we, that I saw the Lord, I saw him walk out on the water, I saw him feed the 5,000, I saw him heal the lame man, I saw him heal the blind man. He, 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 he had seen the Lord, but instead of saying, he, which we have seen from the beginning, but he said, that which we have seen from the beginning. It's significant why he says that. I mean, it almost seems... It almost seems uh, irreverent to, to say that when we're talking about the Lord. He heard him speak. He'd seen all those things. God in the flesh, he's saying here, saying, listen, God in the flesh was real. He's real. Christianity is real. Salvation is real. Fellowship with Christ and God the Father is an absolutely real possibility. And then he says, kind of going along with this, 
the last part, the last words of verse 1, he said that which was from the beginning, and then he identifies it of the word of life. And so what's going on here? Well, when you go back to the first uh, book that John wrote, the book of John, he, he says in the book of John, I'll just read it for you, but, it, but he says these words in the very first, very first verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And then he says in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, and we got of the Father full of grace and truth. And so when he, when he says this word, that, what he, he, it encompasses not only the person of Christ, Jesus Christ is the Word, but also the Word, this, not only the living Word, but the written Word. And so, what, so uh, I'm kind of lab, you know, belaboring this, but what he's saying, remember uh, Peter talked about in Second Peter, he talked about how that he was there on the day of the transfiguration, and he saw him in his glory, glorious state. And and he said he, he was Peter was saying he was real. We were there. We saw it. We saw what had manifested there on the Mount uh, of Transfiguration. But then Peter went on and said this. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. So what is being said here? It's saying this, to have the joy that he's talking about, to have a peace that passes understanding, to have the fellowship that he's talking about that he had. It's not only for the first century Christians, but we can have the same and in 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 great, as great of fellowship, a greater relationship with the Lord today as they had. Because it's not based upon seeing him with our eyes, but it's based upon the truth of the word of God. That, that I can experience God. That I can know just as, just as well as my seeing him and hearing him. And as John laid on him, John said, I was the apostle whom Jesus loved. John wouldn't even identify himself, but, but he named himself as apostle Jesus loved. That I can experience, you can experience, the same experience of fellowship that they experienced. And so what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that we go around and we confess to know the Lord and we um, go off to work and come back or we get up and do our job and we do our things and do our schooling or whatever you're doing. And this thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ is kind of a theory. It's kind of uh, something that people talk about. But no, you can know him. You can experience him. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul, on the ship that was about to wreck, said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, 
whose I am and whom I serve. David in the Old Testament said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Listen, Christianity is not about a rules of do's and don'ts. Christianity is about a personal relationship with God. That we can know him. That we can fellowship with him. Joy. The psalmist said, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures evermore. I've told you before, but when my father died and I went to Oregon for the funeral and went back that night to stay in the house with my mother and was in the basement bedroom and how a great oppression came over me. Is it real? Is he really alive? Is he with the Father? Is there going to be a resurrection? And Satan was working me over with my flesh and with the world. And all I can tell you is this. He's real. And he came and stood with me. And overwhelming peace flooded my heart. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why is this so important here where he said, I want your joy to be full? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we don't have that joy, we're going to muck through life. In the struggle of knowing what to do, God comes along and says, this is the way, walk in it. There's a peace that passes understanding that says, this is what you should do. In the struggle with sin, and trying to overcome sin, trying to be victorious, fighting this besetting sin over and over and over, and over and over and over, fighting that I fell time after time, and finally coming to the place and saying, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I can't overcome this. Lord, help me. And he comes along and he helps me. He enables me. And I can say I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I'm simply saying as he begins this, he said, listen, I, we, I saw him. I have heard him. I have felt him. I've touched him. And he's been manifested in you in that Christianity is not just a way of thinking. But Christianity is a real experience with a real God. And our joy can be full in the darkest hour.
because God is real. Christianity is real. And I want you to note there in verse 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard declare unto you that ye may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Not that it was, but it is. And so John, to summarize, John is saying, that he writes to these Christians who need to have their joy full. And he writes saying the reality of Christianity is, is very, very real. <laughs> reality and real. Though we did not see him, and though we did not hear him, and though we did not hold him, Jesus Christ the Word, and the Word Jesus Christ, are the same. That the New Testament saints in the first century had nothing on us because we have a more sure word of prophecy and I can experience God as much as John experienced God. I want you, do you believe that? Get that into your heart. If you're not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to look at your relationship. We can know him. And he says that our joy may be full. Now, secondly, he wrote also, it said there in chapter 2, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. John wanted them to understand as children of God about sin. Because, listen, sin will affect your fellowship. Not only with God, but with fellow believers. He said, I want you to fellowship with him, and I want us to fellowship together. But sin also will steal your joy. The joy could be filled. What, what is the deal with, with, with this joy? Well, sin can steal our joy. There's no greater example in that than when you think about King David. King David, when he was out in the field and tending his sheep, he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. You see David there in a, in a, in a state of joy, a state of, experience, a state of fellowship. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm, I shall not want. I mean, David was content in the Lord. But we know that David, when he became king and should have been going out to war, went out upon his housetop and saw Bathsheba and lusted for Bathsheba and, and put those lustful thoughts into action and called her to his, to his castle or wherever he's staying and whatever they called it, and, and he sinned with her. And we find David later writing these words. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. And so there became a silence between him and his God that he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he said, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Sin affects your relationship with God. And then David wrote in another psalm these words. He said, he said, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not from me thy Holy Spirit. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That it's possible to be saved, but it's possible to drift from God. It's possible to get into sin and to be living in that sin and trying to cover that sin and trying to muck through that sin. And your Christian life has become empty. How full is your joy? How, how much do you like to fellowship with the Lord and with other believers? Sin Sin is destructive. Nothing else can be said of it. Sin is destructive. And so there's some hard questions he's going to lay out before us here. What's the effect of sin? There's not a greater chapter in all the Bible than chapter 1 of 1 John and the two verses in chapter 2. Do we lose our salvation when we sin? That would be a question that people would wonder. Is it possible to live a sinless life in constant fellowship? And are the words of verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that for the lost person or the saved person? There's a Baptist pastor in town that says that that, 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 that is for the lost person. And he, he maintains that a Christian should never, never does have to confess his sin to the Lord because he's already been forgiven. If I'm saved and that salvation is everlasting, if the Bible teaches once saved, always saved, then can't I just do what I want to do? And actually, there are those who would teach that, that you know, the Bible says, or sin that bounds, grace did much more bound, and the more that I sin gives the Lord more of an opportunity to show his grace abounds over that sin. Well, that's some pretty fuzzy thinking. But this sets it straight. We have here in these Seven verses from verse 5 to verse 2-2. Two, two. I think the greatest discourse on sin that's found within the Bible. But I think there's a couple of things I need to say before I delve into it, and we won't be long. But there's a difference when you read this passage. And I'm not going to, I don't want to become technical, and it's not really technical, it's just some things you need to know. There's a difference between sin, S-I-N, and sins. When it uses the word sin, it's talking about my nature to sin. 
and sin did my mother conceive me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're sinners by nature, and because we're sinners by nature, we sin by choice. But when it uses the word sin in verse 8, it's talking about not a specific sin, but it's talking about our nature. And then in verse 9, it's plural sins, and he's talking about specific sins that we need to deal with. And then also, there's going to be a need to be an understanding between fellowship that he mentions in verse 3 and sonship. Over a half a century ago, in April of 1950, Janet and Jean Humphrey were born into this world, and we made history. We were the first twins in Wheeler County, Oregon. That tells you how old I am and ancient, right? <laughs> when I was born on April 12, 1950, I was a Humphrey, and I'm still a Humphrey. I was born into the Humphrey family. But I'll tell you this, there was many an evening before my daddy came home that I wasn't looking forward to fellowshipping with him because I knew a paddle stick was going to come out when he came in the door. There was a difference between fellowship and sonship. He's addressing fellowship. And, and, and we need to be conscious of that as we go through it. And so let's just work through here. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, John's really straightforward, and I'm not going to drag this out and run all over the Bible because he's, uh, he's said it. In verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Very plain. When we talk about light in this sense, he's talking about God is holy. God is good. God is just. And he says no darkness at all. He's 100% holy. He's 100% good. There's no shadow of turning within him. That God's very nature is one of holiness. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He's saying that, that we cannot say that we're, we're, you know, me and God, we're, you know, we're together. That me and God are buddies. I found even a site online that, that is called God Buddies. And, and that, that, that this idea that I'm a Christian I was saved, and I'm baptized, and I'm okay, and, but all the while I'm walking in darkness, all the while I'm living in sin, that, 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 that's simply saying we're not telling the truth. We can't be saying we're walking with God in fellowship when we're living in sin. If you claim to have fellowship with God through salvation, but have never changed your life or had the Lord change your life, then you need to get saved. When he says here, walk in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that's, a, that's a, in a way of continually walking in darkness. 
I'm continually involved in this sin. I, I, I'm continually living this lifestyle. There's not, it, we're going to go on and find it's not possible for us, as, even as his children, to not live without sin. But he's talking here about a process of life, a way of life. And he's saying, listen, sin is so serious that you won't have an experience with God but you're going to be cast into outer darkness forever. You need to do something about sin. The sin is an important issue. But he says here, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so he's not talking here. He's talking about if we're going to have this peace, if we're going to have this fellowship, let's walk a godly life. But he's not talking about sinless perfection. He can't be because he says, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so what is that phrase there for? What is that all about? What does he say? If we walk in the light, we have fellowship. And then he goes on, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Here's what I believe he's talking about. When I'm walking with the Lord, when I'm in the scripture, when I'm having fellowship with him, when, when there's, there, there's a... There's a, a Christian walk in my life where I am his and he is mine and he's banished over me as love and I have a closeness with him. Then you know what happens? The reality of these little, these little sinful behaviors that I got way back there on the top shelf of my closet, hidden back there, he drags them out. And if we confess them, if we confess them, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The more I walk closer to the Lord, the more his light shines upon the deep recesses back there in my closet. And it brings them out. And then he says, If we say we have no sin, note that that is one, is not sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The reality, the denial of sin makes us a liar. Romans says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. It denies the seriousness of sin when the Bible talks about and abominable murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. To say we have no sin is to say there's many roads that lead to heaven. There are many views of religion. Who, are, who is it that gave you, you know, who made you the boss? Who made you the judge? Who's to say? Who's to say that your way is as good as my way? But he says <clears throat> to have many views and think that there's many ways to heaven is to deceive ourselves. Sin is so serious that we can deceive ourselves and, and uh, down throughout the Bible, 
the fire alarms. It's like, it's like someone has pulled the fire alarm and the Lord warns, and not only once, but twice in Proverbs. And he says, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. And then four chapters later, the same thing. He says, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of it is the ways of death. Listen, you better get your theology right when it comes to sin. You better understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. It's important what you believe about sin. It's not just an indiscretion. It's not just, it's not just uh, somehow, you know, we've messed up. It's not just uh, fornication, or it's not just lust. That's too easy. Sin is S-I-N, sin. And it pays a wage that will send you to hell. It's important. And to deny it is to deceive ourselves. But now we come to the great ninth verse of the first chapter of 1 John. It's going to set us on a solid foundation in dealing with sin. Actually, I wish I had the ability to preach like Spurgeon and to move your heart, but that's going to have to, you know, it's better if God moves your heart. But actually, when we come to verse 9, we should remove the shoes from off our feet and realize that we're on holy ground. What a verse. What truth is being magnified here. You see, there's two, there's two reactions to sin that are both wrong. One is, sin, it's not that bad. You know, the devil made me do it. We're all in the same boat. But then there's another reaction on the other extreme, and that is, I've sinned. I've ruined my testimony. I'm nothing but a dirt bag. Why would God ever fellowship with me? I've done it again. I've failed again. I've sinned again. And even sometimes the thought comes, how can I ask for forgiveness again? I've done it again and again and again. And thankful one day, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should I 
shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So seven times? Lord, my brother, you keep sinning against me. How often should I, should I ask, you know, grant him forgiveness? Seven times? That's pretty generous. And the Lord said, until seven times, not until seven times, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Listen. God wants to forgive your sins. God wants to restore fellowship of his children. And he gives us the exact formula here <laughs> in verse 9. Let's note it. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, if restoration and joy, as David prayed, restored to me the joy of my salvation, it begins with this word, if. If you'll long to be made whole, if you'll be honest with God, if you'll join with the crowd that is weak and heavy laden and make your way to God, if you'll desire to be made whole, if you'll call out to God, if, that part of it rests within you. If you'll go and do business with God, if you'll seek an audience with God, God's already there knocking. God's already there trying to draw you. But it, this matter of restoration, the matter of salvation, in fact, involves the will, but the matter of restoration also involves the will. Do you want to stay there and live in your sin? Or do you want the joy of the fellowship with the Lord? And then he says, we, if we, what is that? Well, that's all those that are saved. I realize that sometimes this can be applied to lost people, but he's speaking to the saved. And he says, we, all of us, there's no favorites with God. You understand that? There's no favorites with God. Whether we've sinned a little white sin, <laughs> or a big scarlet sin. We. And then he says, if we confess, if we confess, restoration begins in squaring up with God. Confessing. It means, <laughs> you know, somebody come the other day and talked to me and said, I'm not going to lie to you. You know what he told me? I'm not going to lie to you. And I said, well, of course, I mean, I would expect he wouldn't lie to me. But sometimes we lie to God. 
And when it says confess, they say, I'm coming to the Lord. He already knows all about me. I'm going to be open and honest with him. And I'm going to confess. I'm going to square up with him. I'm going to open up and bear my soul. But it's very interesting. The etymology means a little word study. What, what that means, the, how the word means. It means homo, which means the same. Lego, which means to say. And it's to say the same thing that God says. If we confess our sin, to say the same thing that God says. That God says it's an abomination. That God says it's disobedience against me. That God says, this is so serious. Only my son can pay for it. Only my son can pay for it. Listen, there'll be no restoration and there'll be no salvation until you understand the seriousness of sin. It took the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the altogether lovely one for your sin. Not an illustration, anonymous, Now he says here, if I'll do that, if I'll come and say the same thing God says about it, see it as God sees it, and confess it, And he says he's faithful and just. God's faithful. Listen, I've never been before the Lord on my knees or bowing my head and saying, Lord, I've sinned. Lord, what you say about this, I agree with. And the Lord says, yeah, that's right, buddy. And you can just sit there for a while. That's what I do. You know, 70 times 7, maybe the 8th time, I said, get out of here. You've been here seven times before. Get out of here. How do I know you're serious? You weren't serious the other six times. Get out of here. But the Lord never has done that to me. And he won't do it to you. And he's faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful to forgive sin. But the word just, that's an important word. Because, because here's the deal. God is a just God. God cannot overlook sin. The wages of sin is death. The requirement for sin is death. 
God cannot forgive sin without having a payment. And this is where the holy ground comes in. When I deserved hell, when I disobeyed him, when I rejected the wooing of the Spirit of God, when time after time the same old sin had been done, But God could be just in forgiving me because Jesus Christ paid for that sin. Why? Because of, man, look who I am. I'm worth it. No. Because he can love the unlovely. And then he says, it gets better. Faithful and just to forgive. What does that forgive mean? Instead of, instead of him saying, you know, get out of here. You know, you've been in here all this time. Instead of saying to me, get out of here. He says to the sin, get out of here. He's faithful and just to forgive. To forgive means to be sent away. Go with me quickly in Psalms 103. I want to point out three verses. In Psalms 103 and verse 12. Psalms 103 and verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He's trying to picture for us what God does when he forgives. And, and when we fly to the east, we never come to the west. We just keep going east and east and east and east. And east and west never come together, and God has removed our sin when we do business with him, when we say sin for what it is, when we confess and say the same thing God says, he removes it. Then look in Isaiah, Isaiah the 38th chapter, Isaiah chapter 38, and look at the 17th verse, Isaiah 38. And 17, behold, for peace, I had great bitterness. He'd lost his joy. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. You ever felt like that? That's where you were dwelling? In, in Isaiah 37, 38 and verse 17, that I'm in the pit. I'm in the pit, man. This sin has put me back in the pit again. And great bitterness. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. <laughs> holy ground. Wonderful, holy ground. And then look in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22. Isaiah 44 and verse 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I want to, I want to, that's, that's a little bit vague there. He says he's blotted them out. Well, here's what the picture is. It's like I'm setting up at Moose Camp. <clears throat> I'm looking over the valley, and the fog has settled in the valley. And the Lord has covered my sins in that fog. 
But as the sun heats up, the fog begins to dissipate and it rises. And I look into the valley, the sun's shining in the valley. And the sins are gone. They're gone. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But he didn't end it there. He didn't end it there. Because you see, sometimes with sin, there becomes a, there becomes a stench about me. I have the smell <laughs> spiritually up on my life. It's kind of like, you know, when you dig into, these are crude illustrations, forgive me for, you dig into, you, you bust the moose's guts when you're gutting it out, and all that smell gets on you, and you go back to camp, and you wash it, and you get ready to eat your hamburger, and, oh, man, you can't get rid of it. It seems like sometimes sin puts a stench upon our body, and sometimes it, it puts a soil in our life. But he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what's available to sinners, but that's available to God's children who have messed up. David experienced that when he asked to have a clean heart created within him. The songwriter says, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. And then he says in verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we go on about it, we say, No, you know, maybe an indiscretion, maybe a mistake, but I've not sinned, and I'm not going to sin. I don't have any sin in my life. I got saved, and I'm perfect. I, you know, what you say is sin, but I don't agree with that sin. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay, and you're okay. You can believe what you want to, and I'll believe what I want to, and we're okay. But the Lord says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. I'm simply saying to you that Someday, you will deal with the sin in your life. Do it today, and you won't have to do it for eternity. Deal with your sin. And then we come to a close. He says in chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, he's left the, he's left the idea of fellowship we who are saved, fellowship with him. And he said, listen, you can have joy, but sin's going to destroy that joy. You can have fellowship, but sin will harm that fellowship. But there's a way to deal with that. If I confess my sin, if we confess, say what God says, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when he gets to chapter 2, He's not talking about fellowship, but he's talking about sonship. <laughs> that that uh, 
If I don't have time to confess before I die. He's talking about sonship. And he says, my little children, he's talking in a family sense, these things I write unto you that you sin not. He said, okay, you that are saved, I'm telling you, don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that there's a lawyer up in heaven interceding, the advocate's a lawyer, and they said, and, and old Satan who accuses the brethren come in and say, hey, 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 did you see Humphrey today? Did you see what he did? And Jesus says, hold it. I paid for that. And he's still mine. And he says, and he that is the propitiation, that word means the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. God could have said, yeah, I see that. And I'm going to get him. But no, Jesus said, no. I died for that. I paid for that. And my sacrifice on the cross appeases the Father's anger. And he goes on and says this. But that's not just for me. And that's not just for you that are saved. But he is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Today, if you're not born again, you can have fellowship with God. Don't come. I, I, often I see people come and go and you wonder what they're thinking. And somehow, you know, coming to church has kind of become a ritual or it's a, a thing that we do and it's kind of, making sure we dot all our I's and cross all our T's and we want to, want to make sure that we use all of our lucky charms to make sure that God is with us. But Christianity is about a real relationship with God. Just as John saw him and heard him and felt him, We have the word of God, and we can experience God, and our joy can be full. And so what I lay at your heart's door this morning is what John laid at the heart's door. How's your joy? Do you even care? Sometimes we don't know any different. I didn't know any place could be as pretty as Oregon until I moved to Alaska. We don't know any different. Sometimes we just live in our own depravity, not knowing that we can have the joy of the Lord and realizing that sin destroys that. 
Can't take it completely away. But the fullness of it, the full cup of it, all that God wants is possible. And so he lays before our heart's door the question, how is your joy? And then the second question, is there sin in your life? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? I look forward to the day when I'm in heaven and pride is no longer a part of me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is a matter between you and him. And as we close today, you can come forward or not come forward. You could do something or not do something, or, but you can surely bow your head when there's sin in your life and say, Lord, forgive me. It is what you said it is. And oh, Lord, bring back the joy like you bring back the spring. Lord, to my life, bring back the springtime. And you know what's going to happen? Exactly what he said would happen. He'll send it away. And he'll restore you. And he'll cleanse you. But the little word at the beginning of verse 9 is important. If. If. You can leave here in fellowship with God or you can leave here just the same old, same old. And so may we say, search me, O Lord, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why would we not want to live in fellowship with the God? Sin is so serious that Jesus had to die for you. As Chris comes with a song, let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the profound truths that are found within this passage. Thank you, Lord, that when I'm saved, I'm saved forever. But Lord, uh, it saddens me to know that there have been days and weeks and sometimes months when I've been out of fellowship, when the joy of my life has been not what it could be. Father, may these, your people, be honest with you. May they confess things for what they are. And may, Lord, may they leave here today with a little lift in their step, with a heart that's light because they've confessed their sins and trusted in you. In Jesus' name, amen.